Ladies and gentlemen, it's time again for the Snob Cast. Once again, my, William here with Film Snob Reviews, and I'm joined so eloquently today by my buddy, my amigo. He let me on his podcast, I don't know why, a few months ago to talk about Zodiac, <laughs> the lovely and talented Gaius Bowling. Gaius, say what's up? What's up, everybody? I'm excited to be here. And you were supposed to be there. You were you were part of a really good conversation on that movie, so I, we were happy to have you. It was a great conversation. I had a good time talking to those guys and breaking that stuff down. It's always it's always a fun time to go on other people's stuff. And, you know, this is my receipt for, you know, showing up on yours. I was like, I need a, I need a guest for this month. And I don't know anybody better that could show up and, and, and knock out a cool topic. And the topic that he has for us today is one that I think is very interesting. And I'm going to use the exact words that he put forth in the discussion regarding this. He said sequels that are arguably better. Then the original, and the key word there is arguably, because that's what we're about to do. We're about to argue whether or not these are better or not. Guys, why don't you get us started with one of your picks for a sequel that is arguably better than the original? Uh, okay, I'm going to go with the familiar one just to kind of get it out of the way. Um, when I have, when I go, when I think about Terminator versus Terminator Two, I always go with Terminator Two being an overall better. Uh, film than term than the terminator not to say that the terminator is bad by any means it's just it's different but um it terminator 2 expands on what they start with in the terminator and in a pretty kind of grand fashion there, there is nothing in the terminator that indicated that james cameron was going to go the way he did with uh terminator 2 just making it just bigger and you know, of course, he had more more money to play with on that sequel, but uh, not just the scale of the like it technically being a better movie, but the overall story uh, felt more rich. It expanded on some of the themes that uh, they established in the first one, and um, I also love what they did with some of the characters, like having what Linda Hamilton, Sarah Connor, go from what she was in that first film to being a complete badass that owns that second film. Um, I don't know. I think from start to finish, it is a overall better experience than the Terminator. Man, right off the bat, we're not really going to argue here because T2 is not only better for me than the Terminator. It's one of my favorite food films of all time. I love T2. And you're right. One of the biggest things Cameron did was expand on his themes. But he left us with a complete story, which oftentimes sequels will fail to do because they want to make a third one or they want to keep it going. But this is a self-contained movie. If you've never seen The Terminator, you can watch T2 and not really be lost. Right. I think it explains it explains enough in itself, like and, and on its own, that, you know, of course, it, it'd be good if you saw The Terminator. But I think on its own, it kind of explains enough where it's like you can actually experience T2 on its own and still have a complete and total experience. Yeah, see, I was a little kid when I first saw T2 and I had never seen The Terminator 1, but I still thought, Man, that's a cool movie. Arnold Schwarzenegger is a cool guy. And then when you get older and you see this, the, the original Terminator, you're like, oh, dude, he's an asshole. <laughs> he's trying to kill he's a little dick. Kid. He's trying to kill a little kid with a dick. But it's so it's such a great it's such a great sequel in that it again it does the one thing that's really difficult to do with sequels. Is it's a self-contained experience that's so good. It's such a delightful watch too. It's a little long, but it's a delightful it watch. It is long. Yeah, it's a delightful way. And that, there's so many scenes that at this point and lines in the movie that at this point in pop culture, they're iconic. They're they're iconic, yep. you know? I mean, that ending and spoiler alert, if you haven't seen a movie that came out in what, 1992? Uh, yep. You know, when he 
pulls his thumb up at the end, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yep, yep. I love that. Of course, and he also also like you know visually like I still think it holds up even today. Like I mean, James Cameron has always been toying with visuals and trying to do the next best thing with like most of his movies, and like there's stuff in Terminator that he Terminator Two that he was doing that you look at that movie today and it almost feels like it could have just been made today. Like that's how like advanced some of that stuff was at the time and the things that he was kind of toying with. That's true. I, I'd agree with you. It, but I mean, obviously the visuals, a lot of those came from the abyss, that liquid yeah. metal stuff came from the abyss and, and, and all he did was expand upon it. And that's, that's kind of what Cameron does. I'm not a James Cameron fan of his later work, you know, tight post Titanic. I'm not a fan because I oh, feel yeah. like, He's at this point, and we can say it on this podcast because it's my podcast. He's sucking his own dick at this point, you know. <laughs> and it's just—it's so self-aggrandizing, and I hate it. And I'm not excited for the, the the Avatar sequel. I know a lot of people who are casual movie fans are very excited, but he's so self-aggrandizing that it's just—I—I I, I can't get behind anything he does anymore. Yeah, I'm not really. It's crazy. I'm not. I kind of feel the same way you do because, even though on the one hand I'm like, all right, it's cool that you have like passion projects and this is what you want to do and like you want to push the limits of the visuals and all that stuff but it also kind of pains me that like all of his time is being spent on now it's just the avatar movies i mean like i think after this one there's three more sequels that he wants to do that film and i would just like him to utilize his talents on something else um you know because he is a talented filmmaker but now it's just like I, like you said, I think it's, I think it's, he's a little bit more self-involved and uh, wants to show off more, more than like, like kind of expand as a filmmaker. I like that. I like what you said there. And I think, you know, what's, what's really funny about that is I feel like he doesn't really expand as a filmmaker, you know, so much as he expands the art of filmmaking. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like he's always willing to right. try new crap, but, and that's yeah. cool. And that's cool. Cause we need that to move cinema forward, but I'm just, I was just disappointed with a lot of his, his post Titanic. I love Titanic. I'm not even going to lie to you. I'm one of those people who loves Titanic, but uh, T2, what a great fucking sequel, man. And it seems like James Cameron just understands how to make sequels, which does. Both yeah, well he does. It, yeah. I mean, it, it does, but well, and you know, it's interesting too, because you know, they've, of course there's been more Terminator sequels since then, but I just kind of, I just kind of think, even though I've been entertained somewhat by some of them, I just kind of think that like that initial sequel was kind of it and there was nothing else to tell after that. And they've just tried to kind of resurrect it over again when there's not much like he, I think he did what he needed to do with those first two movies. And that world might seem like it's rich and it needs to evolve, but like it hasn't worked in any subsequent sequels that they've released after that. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I, I think the third one's not terrible, but it's not great. But everything after that, Genesis and all these other ones, Ugh. they're just not, they just don't understand. They don't have the pathos of the first two films. You know what I mean? They don't have right. the, 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 the gusto of those films. You know, they, they, they lack any sense of balls. And that's kind of what right. you need for a Terminator film. And I'd agree with you completely. That's a great, great just jumping off point because I think my first choice is going to cause a little bit of controversy. Okay. All right. Here we go. Back to the Future 2 is the best Back to the Future film. Oh, that, uh, all right. You want me to tell yeah, you why? That's hard. Okay, go, 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 go. 
Because I do Back, like it. Just, Back you know. to the Future is a great film. It's called Back to the Future, except they don't go to the future. They go to the past. Yeah, sure. <laughs> the past. <laughs> so that's part of the problem right there is it's not Back to the Future. It's Back to the Past, technically. Doc Brown, Marty McFly were introduced to these characters. They're great characters. The subject matter is a little cringy, admittedly. You know, he yeah. falls for his, yeah. you know, his mom falls for him. And that's a little bit weird. Yep. Um, I think it's a little more interesting to see the actual future that they think is going to happen in, what is it, 2012? I think that's a little yep. more interesting. Biff stealing the uh, almanac, all of that mm-hmm. was cool. It is cool, but like the hoverboards and all this other stuff, it's all so interesting and so much more fun than the first movie. You know what I mean? The first movie is a little bit more thrillerish, especially with the uh, the Syrian rebels at the beginning. Right. There's no there's no sense of Marty's about to get his shit knocked in in the second film. It's just a fun time at the movies. You just have a great time, and now you don't have to worry about all this 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 stuff of building the characters. You know who they are. Now you just get to enjoy right. them. And again, it has the same thing that T two does, where you don't need to have seen the first movie to understand the concept. Uh, maybe you right. just heard about what Back to the Future, and then it also is a complete movie by itself. You don't need the third one to complete the second one. Right, I agree with that. Um, it's interesting because I think over the years that that movie has been like reevaluated a lot by movie fans because I because I, I've heard a lot of people like you who have like declared it as their favorite one of the three. Um, just because I think because it 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 definitely it feels like it's not trying to like. It, could, it would be easy for it to just kind of copy what the first film did. Um, but it does take a few chances, which is like also really interesting. I think uh, your love for those movies kind of is determined by like how you grew up with them. And of course, everyone grew up with the first one as like, you know, there are a lot of people that think that the first one is like a perfect movie. Like there's arguments on social media about how it's the only perfect movie. And I don't necessarily, necessarily agree with that, but a lot of the stuff is tied to like nostalgia and growing up with it and all those feelings. Um, I will say that I've, even though I've seen all three of them a lot, I've always kind of been like attached to the first one, but I've gotten close to what you're uh, talking about with each viewing of back to the future too. Like I'm always like, it, I was like, this one like doesn't get as much, credit as it should get i'm all, I'm also surprised that like even box office wise when it came out it grossed like significantly less than the first movie even though i think it's like you know at least on like a entertainment level and all that it's on par with the first movie it's not like a drop off in quality so i've also never understood where that kind of came from too um third movie is another story but like the second one yeah i've never understood like you know, they kind of, they work, like it's, they work well together, but it also works on its own as well. I agree with that. That's really funny. Cause I'm going to tell you a story. My first exposure to back to the future was I actually saw the third one in a theater before I'd seen the first. Oh, and okay. second one. I liked the third one. And I was like, mom, I want to see the other two. So we went to blockbuster, God rest their soul. Uh, and we <laughs> rented the first two movies and me and my brother watched back to the future that day, one and two back to back. After seeing the third one, we're like, I don't know why, but for some reason, the third one, and we were attached to it. We just appreciated Marty McFly more as a character because I think he's more explored here. Right. You know what I mean? Because in the first one, he doesn't exist. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. 
you know that's true he's in a world he shouldn't be in. he doesn't exist there but in the sequel we get to see what he's going to grow into eventually well according to his current timeline something that he can change it makes marty a more interesting character for me right yeah yeah i can see that you know i I always thought it was interesting too because they filmed either i think they filmed the second and third one like back to back or at the same time uh but they just feel like so I mean, I know because like one, yeah, the time periods are just so different. But I think like the quality between the second and third one just feels different too, even though they were like done at the same time. Um, you know, I I'm a completist at heart, so I can deal I can deal with the third movie. But like, it's always those first two movies for me. And like I said, like I don't think I don't think I could call Back to the Future two better than the first one, just personally. But I feel like I get closer to that every time i watch the second one where it's like all right i see why like there's this like groundswell of support behind it by some people being like no this one is the one that like everyone should mess with like this is like the best one um so i don't know maybe i'll get there maybe i'll like i'll watch it enough and be like you know what this is this is it eventually you're gonna be there (laughs) eventually you're gonna be there plus it's the only one that has a member of the red hot chili peppers in there you go (laughs) so bonus points because you got flea in your movie which is always a bonus point for me when you have rock and roll guys in your movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I just, I do. I, I know you're going to see it my way eventually. I know it because the second one's it's too good. It's too <laughs> I good. I got to get there. I got to get there. I mean, I get what you're saying got about it. the first film. We study it. If you ever taken a screenwriting class, it's one of the scripts they study along with Casablanca as like a perfect screenplay, but there's a lot of flaws in that screenplay. And so I don't understand that. And being a time travel movie, there's so many plot holes. The problem is when you go to, to the, past and you have plot holes it's a lot less forgivable than when you go to the future because the future you can make up whatever you want whereas when you go back into the past everything has to line up because if it doesn't butterfly affect your own self yep you know what i mean isn't that always a problem with time isn't that always a problem with time travel movies like a lot of them like inherently have plot holes like i like there's always something you can like kind of pick apart in time travel movies where it's like uh all right I guess I could follow this because these are the rules you're going with, but like you could poke holes in almost all of them. I think the problem is that time right. travel movies tend to put too many rules in place. Right. Whereas back there in should the be, future, it, it, it doesn't do that. Right. It's a little bit more simplistic. Yeah. I agree with that. I just think that, I think that that's what makes the second one better. It's so great is because there's no, there's no hope for real realisticness there. It's just, a idealism of what the future could be based on right you know zemeckis and you know all the guys who wrote the film what they think the future is going to be hoverboards and you know the cubs actually winning the world series they got that one right they did eventually win (laughs) yep we didn't get hoverboards though (laughs) we did we did we have hoverboards well did we get kind of high hoverboards yeah that kind of you know that counts that's a that's a pseudo victory I want one I can purchase and fly around in the city on. Right? Like a skateboard <laughs> with no wheels that just kind of... Like a skateboard it. with no wheels. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what I want. I like that. I like that. But it, the thing is, like <laughs> I said, I just think that Back to the Future 2, it doesn't have sequelitis in any way, shape, or form. And I think that it's such a great whole story uh, that it just sort yeah. of works. What else you got for me, guys? Um, I'm going to go with a horror movie on this one. And this is not to say that I don't love the first movie because I do love the first movie, mm-hmm. but I have always been more partial to Scream 2 over Scream. 
And I know, I know, I know. And the reason I'm saying this is because I know that I know that Scream sets up everything, sets up this like set up this like kind of new wave of like meta horror and they brought the horror genre back. And there of course, you know, we wouldn't even be in a place to have a Scream 2 without the success of Scream. But with some sequels, I think there is a certain like confidence in front of and behind the camera that kind of happens when you're coming off of a hit. And there is some of that in Scream 2 where like you can just tell that like they have this energy of like, okay, we have this really successful movie. The cast all even though the cast is great in the first one, like all the returning characters all feel more comfortable in their roles. Like if Courtney Cox was going like trying to be kind of like the bitchy, like over sort of reporter in the first movie, she goes full on into that in the second one. And she seems more at home in that in the second movie. Of course, Sydney kind of feels like a little bit the same, but there is there is even a little bit of a you sense the growth in her as well. And because the first one was so successful, you also get all these other people who were just like, I want to be in it. So the cast itself just feels more fun. Like in that opening scene, you get Jada Pinkett Smith, you have Omar Epps, you know, at the time, like Sarah Michelle Geller was doing Buffy and she's like, I just want to be in it. I don't care if I die. I can just be in one scene. That's how like that's how it's like that success of that first movie, everyone wanted to be a part of that second one. And you can kind of feel that kind of energy throughout. And like, it's more evident maybe in the first like 20, 30 minutes of the movie, it kind of, it moves. Like the dialogue is really like, the dialogue was already great in the first one, but like you can tell that they know the language, they know what kind of movie they are at this point. Um, It does balance the whole, like the humor and horror really well. And I won't say that the opening scene in the second one is better because I think the opening scene in the first one is iconic. But I also think this opening scene in the second movie deserves a lot more credit for being a bit more frightening than it gets credit for because the idea of being like slaughtered in a crowded movie theater and no one's helping you and everyone's just cheering that on, that scene also has like a lot of power that I don't think a lot of people point to enough uh, in comparison to the opening scene of the first film and i also think it kind of handled the reveals of the killers well too like that movie could have easily fallen apart and be like oh this is this didn't go over too well but i think overall it's a more fun movie um just because you can kind of feel that energy coming off of like they know that they made a successful movie and they are all excited to be there to make this follow-up because they think they can make it just as good as the original and like even though i respect what the first film did I tend to even watch the sequel more than I watch uh, the original. Like I can pop that one in without having to watch Scream. Uh, so and that's yeah, kind of my take on that. I, li- I like what you're saying. And I agree that it's meta. It's even meta within itself because there's the, the whole stab thing going on. And Heather Graham is also. In the yeah, right. You know, uh, yep. there you go. It, it's meta on top of itself. You know what I mean? And then, of course, Scary Movie goes to on and parodies that opening scene. But outside of that opening right. scene, there's a lack of iconoclasm to anything else that's happening in that movie frame by frame the original is iconic frame by frame from the very first scene in the movie to the very last scene there's memes that have been used since the beginning of that of the internet of scream one and will continue to be used because it is more iconic and i feel like scream 2 is a great movie and i like it i love it a lot but i just feel like the original has way too much going for it sure it's a setup movie but really, we didn't need a lot of setup for the characters. We kind of know what they're going through anyway. You know what I mean? They set up Sydney in a yeah. such a way. She's easy to, to get behind. They set up 
the the during the denouement of the movie they set up the killers in such a way where you're like i kind of expected that guy but didn't expect that didn't expect spoiler alert two of them didn't see that coming right and you're like oh shit that's pretty good actually you know what i mean and right i i love that i mean what kind of movie besides psycho decides to kill off who you think the protagonist is within 10 minutes 10 minutes right you see so yeah so yeah scream has the element of surprise that scream 2 doesn't and i and i can respect that i also i also think though like scream 2 has like some pretty hard-hitting scenes that i also don't think get enough credit like the i think randy's death scene is really really well done like having i mean i know the new scream does a, a death scene during the day but having him get killed off in broad daylight in the middle of the day on the college campus uh I thought that was like pretty well done because like that doesn't really happen a lot of horror films. It's usually all the action takes place at night. Um, I also like uh, the scene where Gail and Dewey are um, if there is that soundproof uh, room that she's in and he's like banging on the window and she can't hear it. And then he's getting like stabbed and he's trying to yell for her and he and she doesn't hear it until he gets on the mic to like yell her name. And then she turns around and is like watching him get stabbed and presumably killed. Of course, he doesn't die in that movie, but like there are really strong scenes in Scream 2, but I do agree with you where it, it's, they haven't become like uh, memed or like shared as much as like some of the moments in Scream, but I still think they should be able to live up to some of the best moments in that first film. I, and I, I get where you're coming from on that. I do. And like I said, th- th- but there is something to that. You know what I mean? There's something to being able to hold on to each and every one of those scenes as you watch it. Now, that being said, I think that being able to do more with Cotton was a great little side side piece of business there. Because, I mean, yeah. anytime you can have Lee Schreiber in your movie, do it because he's great. Um, and I think he plays yeah. that character well. Sydney does gain a lot as a character in the second film. You know, she gains yeah. a lot more, you know, ethos. You know, you, you, you start yeah. to start to feel more with her because you've been through it now yeah. twice with her. Uh, I think yeah. Courtney Cox you know, gets a, a lot of guff for that second film, but uh, she's good yeah. in it. I just, it's hard for me to wrap my head around the, the second one being close to the first one because the first one is one of those generational pieces. You know what I mean? It's like a Friday right. the 13th or a Halloween. Halloween for the 70s, Friday the 13th for the 80s, maybe Nightmare on Elm Street as well. Scream no. for the 90s. You know what I mean? It's like paranormal activity for the 2000s. It, it's yeah. the movie that defined horror for that decade. And I feel like every film that came after it was changed by it existing. Things like The Faculty yeah. and Teaching Mrs. Tingle came out just a few short years after even the second one. Yeah. They Urban Legend. Yeah. Urban Legend. They tried to do that yeah. sort of thing. I mean, even you look at the cheesy teen ones, like I know what you did last summer, which, you know, is a. And that was right after. That was. Yeah, that was right after. That was like the first test of like, all right, is Scream like a fluke or is this like 90s teen slasher thing like going to make us some more money? And then it did, of course, piggybacking off of what Scream was able to do, basically. So if you were like kind of even close to that. Yeah, it's I've always thought it was interesting, too, that Kevin Williamson wrote both. And I know he wrote I know you did last summer first and he tried to sell that first and he couldn't. And it's just so funny that he wrote this thing that was like a deconstruction of the genre and like made fun of movies like I know you did last summer. And then his follow up to Scream is like, they're like, oh, like 
okay, he can write generic horror movies too. He's not just like a, it's not all smart, <laughs> I guess. I, I don't think anybody else could have directed that movie but Wes Craven, quite frankly. I just, I don't think so. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he was the right, and you know, it's so funny how he rejected it for so long at first. He didn't want to do it. He kind of was like, didn't want to be the horror guy, and they, it took a lot of convincing, and like, oddly enough, it was Drew Barrymore, he was like, because she was supposed to be Sydney at first, and he was like, all right, if she's going to lead my movie, I'll do it. And then she was like, you know what, I think it'd be better if, like, I die at the beginning. And he was like, oh, well, well shit. <laughs> I signed on because you're going to be my star. <laughs> but it all worked out in the end. I think, like, Nev Campbell uh, getting that part, which is, like, continued to live with her. And, like, in the best way possible, I think, I think she kind of fully embraces what that role and what that movie and those subsequent movies like did for her career like because like everyone wants like at least one iconic part right and she she has that i don't think anybody else could be sydney prescott ever she no, is and i think that's what and i think that's uh and i think that's what's the problem with every time they make a new one right it's always like well is she gonna be in it that's always the question and is there a screen without sydney without nev campbell um at some point, it has to be if you're going to keep making them because it can't like can't really make sense that you know she goes through this all the time. <laughs> um, See, and this this is what <laughs> this is a the scream is at risk of happening, having happened to it what happened to Halloween, where now you got to have Jamie right. Lee Curtis in it even though she's in her seventies. You know you don't want that to no. happen to Nev Campbell. You want to be able to have Nev Campbell if you want to, but not because you have to. Do you know what I mean? Too. Exactly. Yeah, and, I agree. I just think you made a strong argument, but it's really hard for me to wrap my head around the, the second being better than that original piece because it's such an iconic piece of cinema. I don't think that uh, many many horror films in the 90s specifically, because I thought the 90s was kind of a weak, weak decade for horror in general outside of Scream, you know, and outside of those teen, teeny beeny Slash, slasher movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's kind they of They were weak. just like a good... They were just like a good replica of the 80s. But it was so funny, like, when you think, like, I think the only reason that, like, we let a lot of people enjoy those late 90s slasher movies, because, like, if you were a certain age, like, like, they were yours. Like, when people were growing up in the 80s, like, those were theirs. But if you look, if I look at it now as, like, a fully formed adult, that's not like, all right, I, I didn't, not because I grew up with these, the stuff that they were doing in the 80s, even though it wasn't always perfect, like, certainly a lot more fun than, like, what we kind of got in that 90s wave even though i have fun with that 90s wave i think the 80s was you know when i watched those documentaries like in search of darkness and they like kind of break down like uh the horror movies that were coming out in the 80s it's just like there's so many you can point to that are just like oh yeah i forgot about that one that one's cool that one's cool that one's cool you kind of lose a bit of them once you are in the 90s where it's like all right i know you did last summer's fun urban legend's fun the faculty is fun, and then you just kind of go like, "No, the certain behavior, no, uh, you know, urban legend too, no, Halloween H2O depends on like your vibe." So it just like you know, it it wanes quicker than it did in the eighties. I think it absolutely does. And I, to your point, I think people who grew up in the eighties, they they love all the, the the big niche stuff, the the Fridays, the Thirteenth, the Nightmare on Elm Streets, right? But for them, the mm -hmm. films that really grasp them and that they're going to remember that maybe we who grew up in the 90s don't are your prom nights, your Black Christmases, your sleepaway camps. You know what I mean? That's going to be genre specific and not more widespread. 
Whereas Scream is right. our version of that. And where I'm a big fan of the faculty, not everybody who isn't born yet is going to enjoy the faculty or even appreciate it. By the way, Joshua Jackson, I believe, is also in the faculty. He's also in Scream too. Yeah, Scream 2, he's an urban legend with, uh, he's like blonde, like bleach blonde hair, because he was also uh, filming Cruel Intentions around the same time. Yeah. So yeah, uh, what a fun, I mean, that was a fun little time for like, like, spot your favorite, like, new 90s star. Because like, it was like, it was like, it was, it was, we had our own version of like the 90s, it was like the Brat Pack. We had our own version of that a little bit. Yeah, you're going to Sarah Michelle Gellers and Jennifer Love Hewitt, Ryan for like, like, you had that. Freddie Prince Jr. is like, you know, James Vanderbeek, Katie Holmes. Like, they, that was that, you know, they, yeah, we had our own little, which is kind of cool that we had our own little clique of, like, go-to, like, teen stars. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I see your point. I see you saying that, like, Scream 2 doesn't have uh, the, the iconic thing attached to it, really. Like, it doesn't, like, it's not like people are referencing scream to like in the same way like we were talking about like terminators to you people would reference that like oh that's a great movie that defined like action movies sci-fi action movies moving forward did scream 2 define other horror movies moving forward probably not because it's almost tonally the same as the first one almost following the same beats of the first one i guess what it came down for me was like entertainment value and just a sense of fun while watching it um that's never went away from me. I've always like, I get pumped every time I watch, especially those first like 20, 30 minutes. Like it really moves. I mean, I know it kind of starts to drag a little in the, in the middle after like Randy dies and all that stuff. But like, I don't, there's something about that, especially when you first see it. Like when I first saw that in the theater, even as like, God, was I like, oh, was I 12 or 13 maybe? Like those first 30 minutes was exciting because it was like, oh, this is like, all the jokes from the first one, like they're they're so much better at them now, and like everyone's just so comfortable. Like it's like this is like so cool to like have this, like again, uh, and actually being able for me to experience in the theater because I didn't get to see Scream, at, in the theater. I watched it at home on VHS, so like I think that has a lot to do with it too. Like Scream Two, I experienced on the big screen in a packed theater with a lot of people who were very excited to see it. And that might have been what carried with me throughout my time with it. I love that. My first scream in theater was four, so I get it. <laughs> I get where your excitement is because <laughs> four is not yeah. good. Uh, <laughs> I, you mentioned a couple things that are foreshadowing what I'm going to talk about later. You mentioned we. I mentioned Freddie Prince Jr. We're going to talk a little bit more about something he did in the other realm of his career in a little bit. And uh, yeah, and you also mentioned a definition of a genre. And my next pick is perhaps the best film that this particular genre has put together when you look yeah. at it. And for me, I think that Captain America, the Winter Soldier is far superior than to the first Avenger. And it's also, and I'm going to say this right now, it's better than the third one too. It's the best Marvel film that they've ever made. And I will die on that hill. Die on it. Damn. So you mean like uh, best Marvel film in general, or like standalone Marvel film or just as a whole, like even in like Avengers? General, like a, sir. In general, damn. All right, I need to know. I need to know. It's not only (laughs) not only does it subvert the genre tropes that were previous to it. It's not, you know, the villain is not an identical piece of the 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 hero. For so long, that's what you got. The Hulk had Abomination. Iron Man had Iron Man. Also, 
Mm -hmm. uh, Thor just had his brother Loki. And, and, and in this movie, we, we get Bucky as the, as the villain, as the winner soldier, but he's not the same as Captain. They are diametrically different. One of them right. is a super spy by choice. The other one was a super spy, not by choice. One of them fights for right. the good of the country. The other one is essentially a hired gun. And yep. the problem here is that conflict isn't resolved in the traditional superhero fashion. This is, uh, this is a, a spy thriller, first and foremost. You start off with Captain America jumping out of a fucking plane to fight Bartok the Leaper, played by Georges Champierre. I'm in. That's yep. all I need. Georges Champierre. Yo, 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 you got me. <laughs> fighting Chris Evans. You're like, I'm good. You got me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what more do you want from me? And those, the, the thing that you have to commend Chris Evans on is he, the guy knows how to do fight choreography. Whereas, yeah. I'll argue that Guardians is a more entertaining film. It's also probably funnier. Where I'll argue that the last two Avengers films had more emotional pathos to them, even though the first one, Infinity War, was a little predictable because you knew the other one was coming and it kind of ruined it. Yeah. Whereas Endgame had the big end, the big denouement at the end with the on your left. That's sort yeah. of just fan service. With Captain America, Winter Soldier, you're earning everything on the screen. You're getting everything you never thought you were going to get from a Marvel film. You thought this was going to be formulaic and fit into that Marvel box, and it doesn't. It's a spy thriller. It just doesn't fit in the box that they, at the time, were formulating. And I, and I find it so refreshing when I even rewatch that movie after watching anything else that Marvel's done even since. It sticks out. It just does. Even even his the third movie in that in that series isn't even though it's more of a fan servicey movie. It doesn't stick out as much for me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, the third the third one is a fan service. It's like a is essentially another Avengers sequel. Like it might as well be. It's almost like yeah. Uh, I, what I will say, I agree. I agree with everything you said. I, it's not my favorite Marvel movie, but I will say this. I think that with Winter Soldier. I think every other standalone movie after that needed to live up to that. That was the new standard of how you make those movies uh, moving forward. Cause it's so much better than the first Avenger. Like it's leaps and bounds better than the it's first. Bartok Avenger. the leaper. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like it. And it's very clear early on that it's going to be uh, so much better. And you know, we when we talked about with like Scream, like okay, how does it change the uh, it, other movies moving forward? I really think the Winter Soldier, even within the Marvel universe, like people making movies after that, you had to look to that one and be like, all right, this is how, this is how we need to step it up, and it's I, and I think that it's that movie is a huge example of that. Like that is like that became like all right. We know we've had Iron Man. We know we like uh, like we had this whole phase one and like whatever. This is what we need to do now to make these movies better. Like this is how we need to make them. And you know, and I think also, I think that is why they stayed in league with the Russo brothers. You know, after that, because it was like, all right, you guys, you're creating the new standard for this. Can you continue that in each of these movies that you're making? And that's a testament of how good um, that sequel is. I cannot disagree with you at all. <laughs> not, not even a little bit. They could not keep up that momentum. And I'll tell you this. The only two standalone movies I think that come close to it are the first Guardians film and the third Thor film. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. Everything else kind of pales 
to, in comparison to that. And I still think it's better than those two. But Guardians one makes a hell of a case. It really does. It yeah, really does. it does. It, it's close. It's very. It's close. It, you know, if anything, it, because we always, I always have an issue sometimes when there's like a, a movie that introduces a group because like sometimes a lot can be lost in the shuffle because like you can't really focus on everyone. But that movie gets it right where it's like everyone has a moment. It's not just like one person's film. Um, that's very hard to get right. But Guardians of the Galaxy really does. Now, if you look at something like Eternals, where there's like too many people Ugh. and and by the time it was over, I was like, I don't even remember so-and-so's name. Like, like you don't feel that way after Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, so, you know, just a, a couple of examples of like, this is how you get it right. And then this is how you do it wrong. <laughs> but, that, but that's a great example of the first movie in a, in a series, because I don't think Guardians 2 is that much better than the first one. It's not any good. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's just, you know, it, it's entertaining. I don't think it's bad by any means. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think it does enough to make itself better than that first movie. Um, it, but, you know, entertainment value and just having fun with it, it's fine. Um, but, you know, that first movie is just so good that even if they were just trying to copy it beat for beat, that wasn't going to work either. Well, yeah, well, that That's was never going to work. Uh, yeah. I, I just think yeah. that, I think that when you look at all these Marvel sequels, these standalone sequels, there's there's nothing that beats my boy Cap. And, you know, I'm a little biased because Captain America is my favorite adventure. You know, I, I just think he's the coolest of all of them. And I want to see yeah. anybody disagree with me that Iron Man's cooler because you're wrong. Because <laughs> you are totally wrong. Iron Man's a dude. Certainly more. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's all the stuff that Captain America stands for that makes him a pretty good character. And like, an inter- especially an interesting hero, like being plucked from like the past and having to like have those same uh, values and stuff at present day. And there's a lot that doesn't break him from that, which is like also an interesting thing as well. And Chris Evans plays that really well. Like if anyone was born to play a certain role that he was born to play Captain America. 100%. And I think the fish out of water just sort of works really well for him. And I love that. When they go to the uh, the Mac store, him and him and Natasha go to the Apple store because they're trying to um, get into that little device. I, that scene where he's wearing the hat, and it just makes me laugh because yep. I'm like, Captain America would never be in a fucking Apple store. This is amazing. <laughs> Ever. Like, <laughs> and then, it, you know, you're Ever. introducing Falcon as well, you know? Yep. Think of how many iconic scenes are in there. You've got the introduction of Falcon on your left, on your left, right? You've got yep. uh, the car chase with uh, with Samuel Jackson. That's an amazing scene. Yep. You've got the first yep. fight where where he catches Cap Shield on the rooftop. Yep. Uh, there's scenes everywhere across this, the elevator fight. Yep. There's there's iconic scenes all throughout this movie, and I don't think that many of the other Marvel standalone sequels can touch that. I don't think a lot of the other sequels or Marvel movies can touch that in in essence of yep. the the iconism, the iconoclasm that, that is in that film when you look at it. And, you know, on Agreed. top of that, like I said, it's not a comic book movie. As much as it wants to be, it, it isn't. It's a spy thriller, you know? Yeah. yeah. It reminds me of, like, you know, in a certain way with, like, when you're watching, like, more specifically, like, when you're watching The Dark Knight, but even that whole trilogy where you feel like, all right, this is supposed to be a comic book movie, but this is a crime thriller, and this guy just happens to dress up the way he dresses up 
to fight said crime, but this isn't like a comic book film at this point anymore. They are making a crime thriller first, and it just happens to fall into that other genre. And that's kind of what happens with The Warner Soldier, where it, it is a spy thriller. And it just happens to have like kind of comic book roots, but like that's not the movie they're making. They are making a full on espionage spy thriller. <laughs> Also, as you can see by my hair, I do love me some Winter Soldier because I could easily copy <laughs> Winter Soldier. Here, you know? Just throw on the metal arm. Go. We're good to go. <laughs> we're good to go. Looking like Bucky Barnes out here. No, I, I, it's funny you mentioned that as a as a as a, not just a comic book movie. I think the, the new Batman movie is a great example of that as well, where it's not really a comic book movie. It's more of a detective film and yeah. crime thriller for sure than it is anything else. And I, I love when films. Uh, subvert their genre expectation and again I, I i rarely find that marvel does that i rarely find that marvel will go outside of their comfort zone especially recently sadly uh shang chi is the only example i can really see but it still kind of feels like a comic book movie yeah i mean there's elements of it in the new doctor strange like as, at least visually um like at least attempts to uh because i had i mean i had some people in my theater that were because they were kids I was seated close to with their parents and there were certain scenes that like left some of the younger kids kind of like upset. And like, I mean, I, you don't really get that a lot when you're going to see a Marvel movie, you're not expecting to see some of the things that you saw in that particular film. But yeah, I mean, I, I can agree with you that they, they usually don't really try to like break the formula too much. Directed the formula, I guess, by Sam Raimi. That's all you need. Yeah, to that, know. yeah. That's all you have to yeah, that's all you have to say. Yep, and they let him like, they let him do his thing. So all you and parents had to that. do was see who was directing the damn movie, and you would have known what you were getting yourself into. He wrote a movie called Drag Me to Hell. <laughs> of course, it's not gonna be for your little 10 eight year old. It's a PG 13 movie. See, that's yep. just bad. That's just bad parenting, guys. That's what that is. That's bad go. parenting. Don't take your kids to see Doctor Strange too, mainly because it sucks, but that's a different story. Anyway, I really think that that's that I made a good case as to why The Winter Soldier is not only the best standalone sequel, it's probably the best sequel in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it's my favorite and best movie for me out of all of the long 20-some-odd movies that they've put out. Good God, they put out too many movies. Jesus. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. But they're making a lot of money, so why stop? <laughs> at least for you them got, why stop <laughs> you got one more for me guys um it's gonna be it's gonna be a comic book one um i feel and we're talking since we're speaking of sam raimi uh just i think that spider-man 2 is a better film overall than the first spider-man even though I can, I'll, I'll throw this out there. I can respect all the things that Spider-Man did, even though we got Blade and X-Men first and they kind of set, they're like, they're like okay, these can work. Spider-Man was like the one, was successful in a way that was completely unheard of at the time. I mean, it was like the first movie to open over $100 million at the box office. Um, it kind of like, kind of created this kind of almost like new wave of like the summer blockbuster where I was like, oh, this is what you need to do uh in order to have like a successful film like this and but what i think that spider spider-man 2 does it builds on a lot of narrative and character things in that 
that that start in that first movie, but I think kind of go off on their own in a in a really great way in the second one. Whereas I love when like these movies are not just what they're supposed to be. So like it's not just a comic book movie. This is a little bit of a coming of age thing because he needs to figure out like what is his life going to be as like Spider-Man the hero and then Peter Parker trying to manage a life with a potential love interest. How do I like reconcile that? How do I reconcile like my own personal future? And that is something if you're in your early 20s and stuff like that, like you're going through that in your own way. That movie hits on that in a very realistic way, even though it's using like these kind of superhero tropes to explain it. Um, it really, I think, kind of really explores those in a really meaningful way where it's like, yeah, growing up fucking sucks sometimes. And there's a lot of like decisions that you need to make that are hard and you're not always going to make the right ones. And to me, that more than anything in that movie makes it work. And on top of that, you also have like a really great villain. And I think that Alfred Molina's like uh, Octavius gets a bit more depth and a bit more like explored than they do with uh, Willem Dafoe and Green Goblin in that first movie. Um, there's more of like a personal connection to him as like a brilliant scientist and a man that someone that like can be respected before things go awry. And you're kind of like in that fight of like, okay, like he's, yeah, he's turning evil, but there is some good in him because you had enough time to kind of explore that side of him first. Um, and I also love like, you know, it's, it's a lot of, it's a classic thing, but the stuff that goes on between Peter and Harry in that movie, uh, the, you know, two best friends and completely loyal to each other, but, this one person's secret, and, you know, this guy, you know, he blames your alter ego that he doesn't know yet for his father's death. And then you have to reconcile, like, keeping that secret from your friend. And then, of course, when he finds out, there's not even enough time for him to, like, really explain it. It's like, I can't do this right now. I need to go get to, to MJ. This is what's happening. And so you're left with this whole feeling of, like, all right, now this guy knows this. And there's just so much like grandiose like things in that narrative that kind of speak to me in a really big way that is more entertaining than even some of like the action and all that stuff. Like I'm really into like the character driven part of that story. Um, and I think it kind of, it does a better job of that than the first film. Even though the first film is iconic, I think Spider-Man 2 expands on all that stuff in every single way. I couldn't agree with you any more than I do. I, I think it expands Harry's character, but one of the biggest things it does is it adds dimension to Mary Jane as well. Yeah. Which is not not having her just be the girl. Yeah. Not having her just be the girlfriend or like, yeah, of course, like there's moments where they put her in a position to be the damsel in distress, but like you learn how like this kind of tug of war affects her too. Like her feelings and what's going on, like in her head and not just having her just be like, oh, I'm just here to be the girlfriend. And they could easily do that because a lot of those movies, even in the sequels with the girl, just has her stay like that. Just she's just the girl. Yep. And you know what? To speak to that, I think that like, I don't know this for a fact, but I always got the impression the reason Natalie Portman didn't really want to come back until 
this new one that's coming out is that she didn't simply want to just be the girlfriend. Like Natalie Portman is a solid actress who, you know, that part she can sleepwalk through. There's not, there wasn't a lot going on there. Like on our podcast, actually, that we did this week when we were talking about, uh, we're talking about Rachel McAdams and Dr. Strange. And I was like, well, yeah, she, she seems like she's just kind of there. She's just the girlfriend and co-host kind of made the argument that like bringing up Jane Foster, they're like, well, like, you know, she's his motivation to do this and that. And like, all right, I, I guess I see that. But as a character, she's just, if you really break her down, she's the girlfriend. And if Darcy were in those movies, she'd be the worst character yeah. in Thor. Yeah. And you're right, Spider-Man 2 could have done that with Mary Jane, and they didn't. They they, they really put her front and center, like, her feelings matter in all of this, too. And that makes that actually makes the whole trio very interesting, too. The Harry, Harry, her, and Peter, that creates a, its own interesting dynamic as well, which, you know, I, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that. So, so my biggest two points for Spider-Man 2, the first one is Alfred Molina's Dr. Octavius uh, Octavius is such a great villain because you don't want to dislike him. You don't. You, right. you just want to li- you want to like the guy because he's a likable guy. He just want a little cuckoo in the cabeza. You know what I mean? Just a little yeah. crazy in the head. Yeah. My second thing is an, is a math equation for you. Is Nickelback and Saliva better than Dashboard Confessional? The answer is no. <laughs> no, they are not. That song is good though. Hero, hero is mediocre compared to Vindicated, sir. This is how good Dashboard Confessional was in 2005. Two weeks after Spider-Man 2 came out, Shrek 2 came out. And you know what's on the soundtrack for Shrek 2? Oh, we got... As Lovers Go by Dashboard Confessional. Boom! That was their year. That That was their year. year, baby. That was also the year I graduated high school, ladies and gentlemen, 2005. Great year. Uh, I love Spider-Man 2. This, like, that's a great fucking pick, dude. Because every step of the way, Raimi elevates everything that he's doing. He's bigger shots, more iconic scenes. That's, again, that's a big thing for me. Him holding back the train, big okay. scene. The, the car flying through the window with the wee, that's yep, iconic. Yep. Iconic, man. There's just all these iconic scenes. Dude. You remember when they used that in the trailer? Uh, the first trailer that they came out with for Spider-Man 2? Like that was, I was like, oh, this is what we're in for? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I sat there opening day of the movie with my brother. We're like, what the fuck did we just watch? That was amazing. <laughs> and it's still, to this day, the best Spider-Man movie besides Spider-Verse that we have ever seen. It's the best live-action Spider-Man movie we ever, we ever had. And I like the last one, and I think it's a better... It's, it does a great job of building on the character of Green Goblin and what have you, but... For me, Spider-Man yeah. 2 is the, the piece de resistance uh, of Marvel's Spider-Man a- input and output. I think it's it's just a wonderful film. I think that's a great pick. You know, uh, they may have done it first in Spider-Man, but Raimi bettered himself in the sequel. And I think it's a great example of yeah. what the guy can do when you just let him do what he's going to do, you know? And that's what makes Spider-Man 3 so disappointing because it's, oh, God. you were just hoping, because you were just hoping that like, all right, we're this is where we're at. This is how good we're at. Like, can we stay here? And yep, that's an example of like a studio that's like, no, we want you to throw this, 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 all this in there. That was the first signs of like Sony being like, you're not, you're not good at this. No, <laughs> like, they, let, they, let, they, <laughs> they threw all the pasta at the wall, hoping it was al dente, and it sadly was not. And your first sign, <laughs> that, 
in trouble was you cast Eric Foreman as, as Venom. Yep. Yep. Not even, Eric, not even Eddie Brock-esque. <laughs> not in the like, least it's not, it's, it's not good. Not Eddie good. Brock is supposed to be bigger than Spider-Man. And he's clearly yep. not. He's a little dweeb. Yep. I mean, at least they got it right this time. Tom Hardy is much bigger than Tom Holland. <laughs> yeah. 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 They finally got that part right. Yeah, they got that finally. part right. Took them long enough. Jesus H. Christ. I swear. I, I, oh my God. It's such a, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> it's frustrating. It's frustrating. It, it, it's so frustrating to talk about that movie and to realize that the potential was there. And I just get upset with it. I'm going to give you uh, my last pick here because then we're going to get to okay. our other topic. It's going to be a controversial one, I think. Okay. And it also comes from another Disney uh, studio that they bought during the early part of the century here. It's a Pixar sequel. It's Toy Story 2. I think it's better than the original. Okay. And hear me out. All right. Good. All right. So for me, the most iconic scene in Toy Story for me personally is the Sarah McLaughlin when somebody loved me scene in the second film, because it's the only time that an animated film, it's one of the first times the animated, an animated film had made me cry, weep audibly, right? because it's so beautiful. It tells Jesse's story in two and a half minutes. There's no other moment where they, because they try it again in other movies. But there's no other moment right. in a Pixar movie that so quickly and eloquently tells a character's story with, with such heart, with such importance, with such a prominence on this is the trauma of this character and this is the affect of what's happened to them and the trauma they've been through. There's right. no other moment in any of the Toy Story movies, especially even in three, when they give you lots of a story, it, it isn't wrapped up as easily and it isn't as digestible. And you don't feel for that character as much as you do for Jesse after the When Somebody Loved Me sequel. The sequences where they have to go get the uh, across the street in the cones, there's there's some real mm -hmm. thrill there. There's some real thrill there. You, you feel like at any moment, these toys are going to get hit by a car. Now, you know yeah. they have plot armor, so it's probably not going to happen, but you don't. <laughs> you don't think about that all the time, you know what I mean? You're not thinking about that. Yeah. There's just as a villain, I think that the the forty the uh the 49er guy, the I forget his name, minor. Uh I forget his name now. Oh, God. I'm blanking now too, yeah. Shit. Remember, but you know what I'm talking about. Totally like yeah, yeah, Grimm, talking about, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's probably the best villain in, in, in that in that series. I mean, Lotso has a good case, but I find him a little bit yeah. better because his intentions the whole time are good, whereas Lotso, he's just lost his goddamn mind. Yeah, uh, mine. Yeah. The whole time you, you feel like he understands that he wants to save Woody and Jesse from a life that he doesn't that he's lived in a box right. without any touch of a child. Whereas Lotso experienced the touch of a child and is betrayed by it. So you feel a lot less for him because he's bitter. Whereas this character just isn't is bitter, but he's bitter at the lack of uh, of attention. You know what I mean? Right. And I feel as though there's there's so many iconic moments once again in the second movie. That scene where you get all the Buzz Lightyears. Amazing. Oh, yeah. Amazing. You know, yeah. uh, the scene where Emperor Zerg meets <laughs> Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> I am your father. Yep. I, it's yeah. just, the second movie has so many great scenes in it that I can still call back to at, in this moment. Now, obviously, the third one has a lot of that, too. But for me, they were trying too hard in that third one to 
to evoke yeah. an emotional response. Whereas the second one, it came up a little bit more easy. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I think the, you know, it's interesting about the third one compared to the second. Whereas there might not be a lot of like iconic moments in the third one that, and if they are, they are trying to make you like, they're like, we're trying to hit you emotionally. I think what the third one does well is that overall sense of like that, just that feeling of, it's, it's a very simple part of the story too. This whole idea of like, yeah, you grow up and sometimes you have to give up childish things like childhood things that permeates through all of Toy Story 3. And like, as like we are watching it as like, you know, a, a former adult, you're like, yeah, that is, that's a important life lesson that you have to learn. And, you know, I think that overall, that arc there is why a lot of people gravitate towards, towards Toy, Toy, Toy Story 3. Um, but I will agree with you. I think that there are more iconic moments in Toy Story 2. And, and they don't try as hard. Not saying that like Toy Story 3 beats you over the head with it where, where it doesn't work, where it's like almost a manipulation, because I think it does work. But um, Toy Story 2 does it with a bit more ease, where it doesn't feel forced. It feels more natural to the story and to the way the narrative is moving. Um, I have like, I, it's so crazy. Like the Toy Story sequels, I have so much of a connection to the first one. And this is almost like going back to that feeling of like Back to the Future versus Back to the Future 2. Um, I had such a personal connection to the first one that it's hard for me to be like, I, I, I enjoy it a bit more, but that has to do more with like, you know, grew up with it. And of course you're gonna attach those kind of feelings to it, basically. Um, but I, I, I like your argument though, because I, I do think that just listening to you and then like thinking back on it, um, there are some emotional moments in Toy Story, but like any good sequel, like Toy Story 2, whether it's, if any good sequel needs to be bigger, like Toy Story 2 takes a lot of those emotional moments and kind of like amps them up, but also in a very well-written and thought-provoking way. Um, like you said, the stuff with Jesse is like, for a movie that's made for, that's supposed to be made for children, um, like I, yeah, that's when you can tell that a lot of those things are like, they're talking to adults or at least people who can like have fully formed like thoughts and feelings about certain things because as a child, I don't think you would like really pick up on a lot of what's going on in Toy Story 2. But as an adult, you're like, this this might hit harder than me watching something that's in live action. Like just because it's animated or computer animated doesn't mean that like it doesn't hit in a real emotional way. And that movie is a good example of like it it can and it does. So I do agree with you on that point, at least. Um, I, I just have a more personal connection to the first film. So that's just me being all like, oh, no, nostalgia. <laughs> um, but I do get what you're saying. I totally get what you're saying. So I was 10 when the first one came out and it fit perfectly for me. I was 12 and right. 99 when the second one came out. And that one, again, I should not have probably understood why I was sad and crying in the theater at Toy Story 2, but I felt for Jesse. I felt like I've been there where you feel lonely. You feel like nobody loves you and you feel like right. there's a there's somebody, there's something missing from you. And I, I related to that. I was 23 in 2010 
when the third one came out. And again, I related to what was going on, but it it didn't quite feel as as easy, like you said, as easy. And right. the fourth film came out a few years ago, so I was like 30, I think, or something like that when it came out. Right. 31, maybe. And I'm like, oh, now at this point, I'm like, okay. I What's characters- funny about the fourth one is like, you don't need it. <laughs> you definitely don't need it. Good. You're happy it's there. You're happy it's there. You're happy to like reunite with old friends. But the whole time I was like, oh, we don't need this. But I mean... I'm Still happy good. to have you over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you yeah. brought Spoonie with you. I love Spoonie. He's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like to their to their credit, like to make four movies that like none of them are bad. You know, there's no like huge like in terms of quality. There's not, they're not all over the place. Like they're all like really well made. I mean, you can tell like a lot of thought. You know, it's, it's funny. Like I just wonder. Like you can make Toy Story two, three, and four. And have that be a cohesive, very like solid franchise. Pixar can't really do that with cars <laughs> at all, <laughs> whatsoever. Um, the second, you know, they did it with Incred- wasn't that good. Yeah, yeah. So like, it's but somehow like I whatever the creative team behind Toy Story, like I they that is a really good example. We're talking about sequels that are arguably better than the original. Just that franchise as a whole. The, what we have so far, um, the, there's not much you can ding about it. You can't, there's no stone, there's no, yeah, there's no stones being thrown its way. And that's rare. That's, yeah, it's it's super rare. You're right. I think the average Rotten Tomato score is 99 because the first two have 100. I think 10 also has 100, but I think the fourth one has a 98, which averages out to like 99 or something like that. Yeah, Either yeah. way, it's fucking insane that they made three whole animated films that could be considered perfect and they made a fourth yep. one that wasn't even necessary that's still really good yeah yeah that's really good yeah like we didn't need it but like yeah it's uh. so crazy to me and again pixar's tried this monsters university not as good as monsters inc second incredible right. not as good as the first they keep making sequels to their own movies frozen 2 that's disney but still not as good as the first frozen they keep making these sequels thinking that they're going to strike twice and it just doesn't happen for them doesn't happen for Pixar. So they should just stick to making original content like Turning Red and, you know, Soul and Inside Out and things Soul. like that that are interesting, you know? Yeah. Just keep making interesting movies, Pixar. That's what we want from you. Uh, Luca. Luca was really interesting. Yeah. Exploration. Uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on Lightyear? How are you feeling about that? Throw it in the trash, man. I don't care. <laughs> i don't care I, I legitimately don't care about this movie at all like i it is what it is you know, I mean, give, give me give me top gun maverick i'm good on that it's very good yeah that's I what i've heard that. i haven't yeah, seen it's it very good they haven't had that, i mean that, you know yeah if you i mean I, it'll be interesting to like if you revisit this topic at a later date i think that and i i think that would be a movie that will probably get brought up as Oh See man, don't say that because Top Gun's a rainbow, yeah, yeah. dude. Don't say yeah, that. I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying. Once you see it, you might, you might revisit this topic later and be like, "All right, don't do false that." <laughs> don't do that. That's not cool. I wanted to to mention just real quick. My co-host Shay, she sent me a message to say Tron Legacy and The Woman both better sequels than the original. Tron Legacy is good. I kind, I wish yeah, Tron Legacy makes me wish we get that third one. Yes, I know they've talked about it. I know they talked about it. Yeah, it's a it's a solid follow up, and visually just so fucking amazing too. 
Exactly. And guys, we didn't talk about Star Wars because everybody's brought up the discussion that Empire is probably the best Star Wars movie. So yeah, so I was think I was gonna like kind of throw that out there because I'm sure if my friends listen to this and went, what about Empire Strikes Back? Like I yeah, I know. Yeah, I like I that is, that movie is like embedded in my soul. It's in my veins. I think it's in most of our <laughs> most of our veins. Like we know. <laughs> go to my we letterbox. Know. Go to my letterbox. It's in my top four. Go go do it. <laughs> yeah we know like i can i can watch that movie on its own i don't even need to watch the rest of them <laughs> like yeah so exactly. like I, I was gonna mention that because i thought people were like well what about this movie and that movie um yeah, like i didn't bring up aliens because i personally don't think aliens is better than alien neither do i Thank <laughs> you. so like so i was like i you know i was like uh yeah i mean it's good and, and you know i've always gotten the argument from people that are like well it's just so different you can't compare them uh they're I different guess. genres. They're different movies. Uh, yeah. The first yeah. one's a horror film. Yeah. The like, second one's sci-fi. Really, was, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I did want to point that, put that out there just in case someone was like, oh, guys, you guys are talking about Empire or Aliens. Yeah. Empire's a given. And we didn't bring up, <laughs> we didn't bring up Troll 2 because there's no Troll 1. Or else it would have been in discussion for best movie ever, Troll 2. Oh, there's so many, you know, obvious ones like The Dark Knight versus Batman Begins. I mean, I mean, yeah, I know, but- I, I, you know, some can argue that because yeah. it's better, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I have I've had some friends argue that too. Like they actually think Batman Begins gets better every time you watch it. That's actually not wrong. That's actually not wrong. I watched yeah. it a few months ago. I was like, damn, this is so good. Returns better than the original Batman. I think Returns Returns is my favorite Batman movie. So, uh, yeah, you know, Returns. What I like about that is the first one made all that money, and they're like, Tim Burton, do you want to come back? He's like, oh yeah, if you let me make like the movie I want to make, because <laughs> like. Batman Returns is a Tim Burton movie. It's not like a Batman movie mm-hmm. whatsoever. And that's what happens when you let someone go completely unchecked. I'm sure like no studio, the studio wasn't really checking in. That's why they were like, yeah, we can have all these like Happy Meal tie-ins. Yeah, this is cool. And then they see the finished product and they're like, what did he make? But This, this is but the reaction yeah. to, by Warner Brothers to Batman yeah. Returns. <laughs> I'm just like, what the hell is this? It's a bunch what of AD window and gross shit. Yeah. Um, why is she uh, leather clad? Another... Why is she in leather? Why? Why is there so much innuendo? Because... Why, what's that black stuff coming out of his mouth? Yeah, there's like a lot of shit. That's another good example compared to like Back to the Future 2. I think Batman Returns over the years gets reevaluated with a lot of people saying that they enjoy it more than Batman 89. It's Only nice. because it kind of, it, it goes like, it's, it's its own thing. I give it credit for that. And watch it every Christmas because it is a Christmas movie. It is a Christmas movie. It is. Also, Superman 2, really good. Donner's Superman 2, really good. Yeah, I like that one. Solid follow-up, yeah. I mean, it's got Zod in it. We're good. Yep, yep. Fantastic. I, I mean, there's so many good... People like to, to shit on, you know, creating a franchise, but there's quite a few sequels you could just name off. Evil Dead 2, better than Evil Dead. Arguably, the third movie in that series is the best one. You know? Army of Darkness, yeah. Yeah. Godfather 2, better than Godfather. There's a lot of fights on that. There's a lot of fights. They go back and forth. Yeah, that was a. That's always a fun debate. <laughs> Two's better. Uh, you got uh, Road Warrior, which is the sequel to the original Mad Max. I think the Road Warrior is the best Mad Max movie besides, you know, of course, Fury Road, uh, which is Before Sunset is better than Before Sunrise, arguably. Yeah. That yeah. that one's more my style, you know, because I'm a, I'm a rom com yeah. guy. And and one of my personal favorite arguments: Paddington Two versus Paddington. 
I think that they uh, both got really great fucking reviews though. They're both like in line with each other. They're <laughs> like so on Rotten Tomatoes, they're like they're so in line with each other. Like they're like, can we just view it as like one big film? Yes. <laughs> it, like, would, it would cure all the world wars if you did that. I swear <laughs> to God, it would it would cure it all because it's so damn good. Paddington Two, I love it. I, I, oh, also Logan is a sequel and it's pretty good. Yeah, they finally got that right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, pick any of the recent Mission Impossibles. Those are sequels that are bigger, better than the original. You know, I always third. like to give like a shout out to. I think X Two is like way better than the first X Men. X Two has my favorite. Like, and, and, I, and I also think that X Two is so underrated as like being a very good comic book movie too. Like it, it's not mentioned a lot in that early, like kind of like collection of comic book movies that we got. But like that's an example of going bigger and better and. It's a big ensemble, and I know it, it focuses a lot on Wolverine, like like they all did those first three movies, but that movie did a better job of like trying to utilize the ensemble as a whole, like you know the stuff with Jean Grey, like you have, you have to feel for her by the end too. The only problem I have with X two is that my boy James Mars in Cyclops gets like sidelined early on. He's gone for most of the movie, doesn't come back till like the climax. He's all he always got shafted throughout those first three movies, but. Because like James Marsden is, is like, yeah, he's not like he's a boring character, right? It's not James Marsden's fault. Like it's just like James Marsden has the perfect like jawline and face for that part, and that's why he was there. But like it just sucks that like you know he's like, man, I'm gonna be in this bigger, better sequel. And he's probably reading the script. He's like, oh, I'm I'm missing for like all the good shit in the middle. <laughs> so I, I tell you this: my favorite X Men is Gambit, but my second favorite X Men, who I always play in the arcade game. Gets has probably arguably one of the best scenes in an X Men movie, and that is my boy Nightcrawler. Huge fan. Oh, that opening scene is that opening scene is amazing. It's amazing, right? That movie, that movie has some great action set pieces in it. Yeah. Like that scene is really good. I love the scene with Pyro when he like destroys all the cop cars, like when they're at uh, Bobby's house. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's some really good, uh, great stuff in that. Also, Definitely we should mention more. We talked about Matt Reeves earlier. What about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? Yeah. It is. I think um, what I think Rise of the Planet of the Apes does well is it is more of like a popcorn movie compared to the other two. Yeah. And I think they did that because they had to like ease you into this. Right? They have to be like, all right, we have to like, it's a tough concept to sell, I think, to a modern audience, which is why I think Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes didn't quite work. Um, they had to make it more of like a popcorn movie and then it worked. It made money, and then like once they get to dawn, and then like you know war, it was like, all right, we're gonna do what we want because we we have the audience now, like we can we can expand on this, and now they trust us to do this. So that's a good example of like, all right, we'll like ease you guys into it with like a more like, not saying that like it there's not a lot of themes in that movie that aren't like serious or it's not just it's not just like pulp entertainment, but like it it does play more as a more like summer fun movie than the other two the other there's, two really go really yeah. into it there's best there's less basic there's uh, less uh emphasis on the uh segregation angle right of the first film right you know right. uh but it's yeah it's a great great fucking movie uh it's funny because yeah. our next just part of the discussion actually is kind of in line with this first part of the discussion one of the sequels that just came out this year that I thought has a chance and I think might be better than the first movie is the new Sonic the Hedgehog. It's incredibly good. Uh, yep, I thought it was better. 
Right? Me too. And it's it's a yeah. video game movie, which begs the question. What do you think? What do you think are some good video game movies? But what would you like? What games would you like to see turned into movie? Give me two. So the, this one's always hard because I've always asked my friends this question, especially friends who like play video games way more than I do. Or like I know a lot of about certain video games, but I always think it's crazy that a lot of video games have these like really rich narratives and like backgrounds there's a lot going on story-wise in a lot of video games and somehow some way that can't be properly transferred over to the big screen i don't understand why you can have this like rich narrative that you created for this video game and it either doesn't work or the people that adapt them don't trust that to just adapt that take that story and don't fuck with it and maybe that'll work i don't understand why it's so hard to like get that right because the stories are there like there's not much you need to do except just like make a faithful adaptation of it and i, I, I think that's where a lot of these things go, go wrong i have okay. a small theory on this guys one of the biggest things with these especially story-based games is that they offer the player a lot of agency a lot of and what i mean by that if for those watching that don't know what agency is, I know guys know what I'm talking about, but it's the ability to make decisions for the characters in the narrative, like a choose right. your own adventure, which is what a video game is, but you know, digitally. Uh, the problem is when you make a movie, you are stuck with the perspective of the screenwriter and the director instead of right. being allowed the agency to make those decisions. This is why a lot of the times the games that don't require a lot of agency tend to work better on the big screen. You know what I mean? Like I saw like that, like I saw like the hedgehog and like, yeah, that, that makes more sense. Yep. Sonic the Hedgehog you. works so well. Because, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, it, it works so well because it's Sonic. You can only play a Sonic and you can only go left to right and get to right. Eggman and beat Eggman. Those are your, right. those are your options. You don't get a lot of choices. They're singular focus. Yeah, singular yeah. focus. Yep. That's why a, a movie like Warcraft isn't going to fucking work. It's too big. Now I say that, yep. and when you hear what what I'm gonna pick, you're gonna be like, "What the fuck is this guy talking about?" So, what what do you think is gonna work? Would work as a video game? And tell me who you'd like to see in it and direct it. Oh god, that's hard. You know what? I'm gonna I, I'm gonna say this first, only because I don't give a lot of agency to the Street Fighter movie that we got. Hmm. Um, I would. Lo- I think there is a world out there where you can make a proper Street Fighter movie and make it work. Um, and actually like and not do with it like with not do what they did with what they created in the early nineties. Like I know there's a lot that kind of went on there. There, you know, you, you get John you get John Claude Van Damme involved and he was like a thing back then. And then you kind of center it around him and then it becomes like his movie and less about like adapting street fighter like there is potential there and i'm bringing i hate to bring up mortal kombat because i don't think mortal kombat totally got this right uh the new one even though i think oh even though i thought i thought like that there were there were seeds to make that work like there was stuff in there where i was like all right that could be really cool that could work i think the same thing can be done 
for Street Fighter. I'm trying to think of like what director I wanted. Like, yo, know, if you uh, who uh, why am I blanking the same? Uh, directed like the John Wick. Uh, Chad Stahelski. Yeah, there you go. Get someone That's like exactly that. That's who I thought. Too. That's who I was thinking too. Get someone like that and have like some legit, legit like fight choreography in it because that's what it's going to be a lot of it's going to be sold on kind of like what they could have really done with mortal Kombat, um and then properly cast it and not necessarily with like it doesn't have i i don't really need like big hollywood stars in it um you know like i i just want like that director would know what he was doing he would know how to craft action really well and I think you could have a movie that could be really successful, could make a lot of money. You could start a franchise. Um, it don't make it silly, because I even though like just I know like from playing the Street Fighter games, like I guess there is room to kind of make because some of it is kind of obnoxious. Or some of the characters are obnoxious, obnoxious, but there are enough there are enough characters there that you could actually make something that not necessarily gritty, but like grounded in some kind of reality that I think would work really well for that. And maybe because I, I grew up playing it so much, yeah. uh, I, I would um, I would love to see that. Um, you know what? This game doesn't really... <laughs> I don't think anyone plays this game anymore. I, I just grew up playing it. Um, there's also potential for like a decent like Killer Instinct movie too, I think. I don't know if you remember playing Killer Instinct. Where you could have like all the, I think it was like up to like fifty hit combos and all that stuff. Um, I think you can make a really interesting, visually uh, interesting, like uh, Killer Instinct movie. I mean, I was all about playing those kind of games, like the the fight, like fighting games when I was growing up. Um, so I've always gravitated towards that. And I also think it's a bit easier to adapt those. I mean, there there is like a basic story there, but like you don't have to like, it doesn't have to. It has to be too much. You already have like the stuff that would make that work. You have like something like Street Fighter. You have interesting characters there already. They're already like cool and visually interesting. You can I, I don't know. I, I would want I I want to see a proper like Street Fighter movie though, a good one. And I think there is room to make one. I think so too. I think I like that you picked Chaz Stahelski. I think that's a great pick. I would love to see that. I think that what they should do with the characters is make Ryu and Ken super serious and then everything else around them chaos. It's like chaos? Yeah, yeah. that can work. Ryu is like so self-serious in all the games. Like, oh, and you just make like, yeah, yeah. All, like Blanca the most ridiculous fucking thing. Make like Chun-Li super cool. You make Vega overly like flamboyant. Yeah, man. <laughs> yep. You know, just do, just go nuts with it. And the, the, the reason, one of the main things that kind of, takes you out of this original street fighters guy was supposed to be an all-american hero and they cast a belgian <laughs> guy. Van, guy yeah and he's not the irony in this is johnny cage is based on john claude van damme yep and he turned down being in mortal kombat 95 which he shouldn't have because that movie's way better than street fighter <laughs> yeah it is yeah. way better I like those picks. Man. I like Killer Instinct too. And Killer Instinct is one of those movies where you're gonna need a ton of CGI because all the characters are goddamn ridiculous. Yes, yeah, they are pretty out. There are pretty out there. Yeah, I mean, you got a guy that's on fire, a guy made of ice, a werewolf. Uh, you got, <laughs> you, you, you got, you got a what else you got there? You got a robot. With I don't. A, I don't think it could. I don't think it could be live action. Is the problem. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think. No. I mean, yeah, it could be live action, but that might make it better though. 
I think like I think that's also a problem too with some of these uh like they don't necessarily have to be live action in order to be a good adaptation of it. Um yeah. Like I like I don't like it's weird cuz I don't mind the first Resident Evil but I have friends that love that video game franchise and hate every single one of those movies cuz they're just like it's not it's just not what it you know I I I yeah I mean I think first one at least is well made enough for me to be like all right I can I can get into it as like a fun little like fucking action zombie pick um not so much the sequels because I think they just kind of repeat themselves they try to be a little different but it's just the same thing over and over again um but yeah I think uh I like yeah, that I think like yeah yeah killer yeah killer instinct would definitely have to not be live action because you're right there's too many like too many out there characters to even work with real people. <laughs> I'm going to give you two games I really think would work really well as movies, yep. and I would like to see them done. First one is Devil May Cry. I would love that to see work. Devil May Cry. Yeah, yeah. And you get like one of these like uh, one of these Asian film action directors to do it, uh, or even get what, uh, the guy who did the raid to do it. Okay, yeah, and make it like super super gritty super like low-key really cool and you got you're gonna have to cast somebody super fucking cool to play dante because he's just inherently a cool character um but i I really feel like devil may cry could work there's so much lore there but it's also such a simple story that you could just tell it just tell it yeah you don't don't need to add anything to it you don't need yeah yeah and that's what a lot but that's what a lot of these people do that's what they they don't think what's there is enough and it's like no like it's it's fine just adapt it Think about it. What what's there? What's there in Pokemon? But Detective Pikachu works so well. What's there in what's there in Sonic the Hedgehog? But it still works so damn well because you get the pathos of the character itself. Now I want to shout out that the recent Mortal Kombat did two things, cardinal sins for me that that made that movie not work. They got rid of the best character, my boy, my main since 1993, Kano. He's the best character in in that movie. In that movie. And like, I played inter- him really well. And they introduced a character no one gave a shit about. And now, granted, I have interviewed that that actor. He is a wonderful man, but he doesn't need to be in that movie. So what was what was the direction on that? Because I I don't know if this is my feeling, I guess, why they did that. I thought maybe for people that maybe didn't play the games, and if they if they were just someone like new that they could like identify with, and then that would be uh, I, I guess some kind of way to pull in the audience that like maybe didn't play Mortal Kombat or doesn't really know like isn't familiar with all those characters. That was the only thing I could think of because why introduce someone like that 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 isn't nearly as cool as the people you already have in your arsenal to use. No, it's true. You're that's exactly why they put him in there as an avatar for the for the layperson that doesn't know a lot about the Mortal Kombat lore. But they should have just relied on their lore. They should have relied on their on their characters. It's not a difficult story to tell. Every so yeah. every few few years, all the realms of the world get together for Mortal Kombat. It's done. Now we need to pick out who the heroes of Mortal Kombat are going to be for each realm. Oh look, Shang Tsung selected Sub Zero. Oh look, Scorpion wants revenge, so he's going to put he's going to play for the Nether Realm. Oh okay, now yeah. Earth needs it. Earth Realm needs heroes. Who do you got? No Johnny Cage. What the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> it's true 
Also, were you? you uh, and no, and no, actually, to- no tournament either. I mean, I guess I can understand like, oh, it's the first movie we're building up to that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, no actual Mortal Kombat. And <laughs> no Kung Lao in the tournament because you know they fucked they fucked him in this movie. Yeah, that was the most. Dis- I mean, I knew they had to get rid of one, right? They had to get rid of somebody, and like, they got I was, rid of like two. I it was cool though. They, they got rid of two. two. Yeah, I, yeah. Bullshit. I was like, uh, I didn't want it to be him. I guess I didn't want anyone to go. I guess, but I was like, uh, he was cool though. They couldn't have taken. I chance. quite enjoyed him. Yeah, actually, would have been cool with that. I would have been fine with that. Fuck Jack. Totally that character fine. Sucked. With that. that character sucks. In that in that movie, Sub Zero was Sub Zero was awesome though. I will. I will. That was yeah. fun. Scorpion. Like, he cool was. Too. Yeah. Every time he was on screen, I was like, all right, we we got something. <laughs> Also, if we do not get Mike the Miz Mizanin to play Johnny Cage, the movie will be far less awesome. He wants it. He wants I, it so bad. I'd love to see it. I would he's, love to see it. He's he said he's training. He wants it. He's you know what's funny is that people put that out there on social media because they they want like studio whoever to see like the groundswell of support. And he has a lot. I mean, his wrestling characters, that's pretty much what he is. It's Johnny Cage. Is, you yeah, yeah, you don't even have to, like, you don't even have to, like, he doesn't even do anything. You have to, like, yeah. trade him out. He I mean, just go, you, he just go, like, oh, have you seen, Um, have you seen, Uh, there's a scene in, in Mortal Kombat 9 in the game where he goes, I could take you, I could take you, I could take you. And he looks at Sonya and he goes, I could take you to dinner. What's up? Yep. yep. <laughs> I could see them yeah, just doing I mean, that. Yeah. Like it's he's he's not reciting Shakespeare, so it's not like he needs to a whole lot of like you know yeah he's perfect for it. He looks the part already, acts the part already. It's Give like it's the already splits. there. That's it. I yeah, just learned how to do the splits. Yeah. Yep, it's already there. Now my second game is a little more technical, and it's because it's one of my favorite game series of all times, and I would love to see. It. I've heard rumors Amazon's going to do a TV show, but I think I'd like to see it as soon as possible, and that is. Bioware's Mass Effect series. Good lord. I did almighty. hear about the Amazon. I heard about the Amazon thing. Uh, I think it is a rumor, but yeah, that would be really interesting, actually. And Henry Cavill playing the uh, playing Commander Shepard? Yes, please. I would love to see that. I, I You don't understand. I love the Mass Effect narrative so much. I think it is the best sci-fi video game series that has ever been put to video games. Mm-hmm. Ever. It creates its own world and it does it with such a plume. Every character is interesting. Every character in the show or in the game series is so unique. And they are their own person. Or in other cases, not a person. But, you know, whatever species they yeah. are. You know, in, in the case of, like, Legion, he's a robot. So, But it still works. You know what I mean? There's a yeah. there's such a such an emotional connection to these characters. I mean, all you got to do is, is play through the game. And if you want to play through the game and you have Xbox, it is free right now, the Legendary Edition on Xbox Game Pass. You guys should do it because it's incredible. Boom. But I, I, I really – are you familiar with Mass Effect, guys? Yeah, I'm familiar, yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah. It's – you know, it's funny, like, bringing all these up. And, like, we, we, we were talking – like, I was talking about, like, the narratives and, like, stories for all these. Like, do you think – like, everyone always tries to adapt these things in the films, like – do you think that like a lot of these video game adaptations that became movies that didn't quite work, would they possibly work as like TV show limited series, like that format a bit more than they would as like a singular, like big screen adaptation? If Shudder made a Silent Hill TV show that was seven episodes long, I would watch the shit out of that. 
Yeah, because even that movie adaptation, I don't think it's horrible. Like, I'm fine yeah. with it. It's like it. It's pretty decent. Yeah. Um, but I think yeah, they would they would work so much better as like you give the you give the story time to breathe, you give it more room to breathe instead of trying to cram a lot of mythology into two hours. I'm just uh, thinking about the cinematography you could do with all that damn fog. Yep. I love so, it. So like stylish. Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. And it's funny because in our podcast where we talked about video game movies, uh, Shay, my co-host, she it's one of her favorite video game adaptations. And uh, I, I it's my favorite horror game series. Silent Hill. I like it more than Resident Evil. Um, I I love that series. I would love to see that. You know what else would be a great adaptation is Titanfall. Yeah, yeah, Titanfall. that'd be really good. Yeah, especially if you guys are out the there. <laughs> they've added to the lore yeah. with the Apex Legends game, where they've added a lot more lore to the game, and I really feel like Titanfall would be a series that would cost a shit ton of money to make. Uh, yeah, it could really work. It's definitely gonna be better than that Halo garbage. <laughs> that we waited so long for yeah <laughs> visually looks i mean like looks pretty and good <laughs> but yeah it's not good it's not good i wanted to like it i i knew i knew we were in for trouble when like multiple showrunners kept leaving i was like that's not that's never a good sign where showrunners are jumping ship yeah. <laughs> i was like like no one can agree at the top that something's wrong <laughs> Spielberg, what are you a bad doing, sign. my guy? What are you doing, my guy? It's just, it's not good. Well, that's, it's not good. That's probably one of those things where he just writes the check. Like, oh, what's going on with that? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Listen, guys, thank you so much for being here today, talking to, talking about these topics with us today. If people want to follow you, and you have a very large following, so I don't know who the hell is not following you. If they want to follow you, where can they do that? All right, so I have a movie Instagram page called G Reels. It's G underscore r-e-e-l-z and then um actually host uh my own podcast with my buddy owen uh called back to the blockbuster and we started in november uh so it's interesting because we're still uh still still learning a lot but also having a lot of fun as we're going along because like it's connected to me with people like you and like it's just this whole kind of community is like all very supportive and everyone wanna, wants to like hop on each other's shows and like that's been the most fun part of it for me, at least. Uh, it's just something that we started for fun, and now it's like becoming a really, you know, kind of big thing, and that's cool. And then I'm also a news editor for JoeBlow.com, and I am usually on the morning shift. So, like anything that comes out Monday through Friday uh, between 5 a.m. and 10 a.m., that's usually all me. And I'm starting to write uh, scripts and doing voiceovers for some of the Joe Blow. Uh, originals that they do on youtube as well um so i'm kind of all over the place but um it's been a fun uh it's been fun kind of like dab like dabbling in so many aspects of like this community it's great it's i'm, I'm learning a lot from other people that are doing it and uh it only makes me want to get better so it's it's really cool it's really fun i love that tell my boy jimmy oh i said what's up and tell chris bumbray i said uh what up homie as well oh uh, yeah chris bumbray i talked to <laughs> talk to chris every day so editor-in-chief over at uh at, over at, at joe blow and then my boy jimmy yeah, o yeah. also writes for joe blow that's my guy right there i love jimmy o if you guys don't know jimmy o, he's amazing yeah that guy yeah he, everyone everyone on that side is like really cool it's just so funny i've worked for them for over two two years it's funny to have like a working relationship with people that you don't like see physically every day it's either like email or this i got a and, funny story for you before but, we go actually it's funny you mentioned that 
I was at, but yeah, but you're, yeah, yeah, you're so wholly connected though. You're like, you know, like it's just like I feel like you become friends with these people without having to like be around them physically every day. It's just a, it's a really interesting experience. It's true. I was at Sundance in 2019, and we did, we went to this party, myself and Shay. We went to this party at, at, at and it was a like a critics party. Monica Castillo was from Ebert. Roger Ebersett was there, and Chris Bunbury mm-hmm. was there. And I introduced myself. I met Chris Bumber. He's, and I was like, hey, you know, Jimmy L. He's like, dude, I work with that guy for years. Never met him. I like the guy. And I was like, that's <laughs> fucking weird because I've met Jimmy L. And I met you, but you guys haven't met each other. That's so weird. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it's crazy. There's so many, so many working pieces on that site. And so many people that I talk to every day because like there's someone in charge of like different aspects of the site. So I am emailing and communicating with all these people for like two and a half years now and some of them i have never even seen like we're not friends on like facebook or instagram some of them we are the ones i communicate with like like have to create uh communicate with more regularly but yeah it's so interesting they're like hey like someone's like you got that script for me and it's like i've never seen this person in person just like it's all connected via email through like whatever it's a it's a interesting world to be in but it's fun and they're all super supportive and it's like that site is like made of movie fans like that's what they want they're like you know if you're a good writer they're like that is that's great we want good writers but we need people that actually love the art of filmmaking and genres and all that stuff and that's why that site's so much fun to write for wow it sounds like i should go there because i am a terrible writer guys (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure you're not (laughs) <laughs> I am a terrible writer. Guys, make sure you follow guys. This guy, I love this guy, man. He's great. He's got a great, his G Reels page is fucking amazing. I love that page. Every day I'm getting stuff in my DMs about breaking news. And so he's on his shit. He does a great job. Make sure you're following him. And of course, make sure you're following us at Film Stop Reviews on all of the social medias Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch. We play video games on there sometimes, sometimes. And yes. make sure if you really love us, you could give us money over on Patreon. We like money. And if you give us money on Patreon, <laughs> we'll shout you out on every podcast. And we take your suggestions as well for follow-up topics because we always have two topics on every show, but we always need ideas. Uh, hopefully something we've never talked about. I loved Gaius's idea today. That's why I invited him on here because I thought it's a great fucking idea. Make sure you're following us, guys. Make sure you're listening to our interviews on YouTube and subscribing because we've got a lot of cool stuff in the pipeline coming up. I can't talk about some of it. Some of it I wish I could, but there's some cool shit coming up. And of course... This has been episode, I think this is the 12th episode of the po- of, of, of the Snobcast. Of course, this has been William from Film Snob Reviews, and we'll, we'll see you later.